G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Well, we're going to talk creation and evolution today where what you believe about our origins makes you either a victim of racism or, as some have suggested, a white supremacist. We're going to be asking, what is fueling racism? Well, some evolutionists are now saying Adam and Eve were light-skinned. And a curse on Cain for killing his brother Abel was a darkening of his descendants' skin. As wokeism continues to take hold, those who feel driven to drive wedges between black and white will stop at nothing to argue racial difference. So does creationism fuel racism? Or does evolutionism fuel racism? Evolution is taught widely in schools and universities, and perhaps an emphasis on racism is an obvious consequence. So, what's the reality? Did God create black people subordinate to white people? We're back with John Mackay, the creation guy, founder of the Creation Research and the Aussie Creation Museum Jurassic Ark. John Mackay? Special welcome back to 2020. G'day, g'day, Neil, and it's good to be here on a non-woke Monday. (laughs) We'll call it non-woke Monday if you like. Hey, this is, uh, let's just talk wokeism for a moment, because here we are into a conversation that seems to be fueled by the emergence of wokeism. It certainly is. Wokeism, and sometimes we don't often think of the evolution side of the debate uh, as being very woke, which is not always included when you start to talk about what you think woke is, but it certainly is right there in the mix, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, just a month or two ago, the Australian headlines had the word woke in them. It was all about the controversy over the big mining magnate donating money to a, a woman's netball team and then someone saying we won't take it because we won't wear your shirts because they're too racist and uh, it was all about woke attitudes of the team and the poor lady who wanted to donate the money she said well if you don't want it I'll take it back and then the Victorian government stepped in and gave us woke dollars our dollars right in order to keep the team going so it's a very controversial and provocative issue because I I remember our Aboriginal politicians saying, you netballers, keep your woke ideas to yourself if you want the money, otherwise be willing to lose it. So it went all around the whole circle. Big news. And it was a race-related connection there on the netball too. Hey, John, believing in evolution, does that make you automatically woke? Well, believing in evolution if you fully believe the standard view, the one in the schools, the one in the political arena, the one in the museums, then God is out, right? And therefore, you have one potential uh, consequence when you say what's right and what's wrong. You have no absolute start, starting point, no marker to say, well, it's right to do this or it's wrong to do that. Now, I, I did a camp just a few weeks ago, and I, I, I shared with them, I said, listen, does anyone remember this song? 
I want you to imagine there is no heaven, there is no hell. And the older people did. They said, Beatles, right? Or, and, and I said, yeah, they'd been to India. So there's nothing new in wokeism. It's just shifted to the USA, and it's based on evolutionary concepts that God is irrelevant. Therefore, you, you do whatever you want, and you can be anything you want, but be kind, but nobody can criticize you. Yes, and I think that was uh, John Lennon yeah, and his song right. Imagine. Yeah. And as you say, yes, those Eastern connections. And hey, when we're talking evolution, because... The interesting thing is here, and I guess this is where, uh, for some listeners, on some shaky ground, uh, some Christians are quite happy to th- to think that there's, you know, a synthesis or, you know, I'm happy to believe what they taught me at school or at university. And, uh, you know, even Christians themselves grapple with whether they are uh, true creationists or whether they believe in evolution. And as soon as you put some words behind it, like, uh, you know, a denial of evolution makes you a sort of a white supremacist, mm. all of a sudden you've got this coercive pressure on you. And uh, not to deny you being an evolutionist because, uh, because you might be termed a white supremacist. Uh, thoughts here? Yeah, sure. Um, I first came across this uh, in the USA before woke was a a popular word. Surprise, surprise to most people who don't know what it means. It's out there. You see it in the newspapers, but it didn't even get into the Oxford Dictionary till 2017, and it's hit the Western world with with a big slam, right? Politicians use it. Schools use it. The sexist groups that want anyone to be whatever sex they want, they use it. But here's how I first came across it. Rules on racism had begun to penetrate the American public service, and so they were discouraged from using words like black. It got to the ridiculous point where you couldn't order a black coffee because that was considered a racist thing. So you couldn't even order a white coffee uh, because they wanted to abandon these terms. So your language became shrunken. Now, one of the, the effects of wokeism is if there is no God, you don't know what's right even when it comes to words. And so who's racist, who's not? In the end, it depends on who you want to support your political venue with, right? So anyone you want to get out, anyone you want to cancel, you describe them as a white supremacist or a a racist or whatever, and you get them cancelled in our society. So yes, there is a connection because if evolution is true, then there's no God in the textbooks. No God means the biggest number of people in a democracy, they rule. If you're not woke, you've got this risk, haven't you, that someone will try and cancel you mm-hmm. as soon as you stand up for what you believe. And so you really need to have some evidence you really uh, to back what you do believe so that you can stand firm and say, well, <laughs> I'm going to face a little bit of a fire uh, here. Uh, but you've got to be able to be confident in what you believe about your own faith. You really now, do. And, and that that doesn't always start just with the creation-evolution debate, but for a lot of people, resolving that unlocks something so that they can be confident then to study the Scriptures a little more deeply, understand what they do believe, and be able to stand strong in their own faith. It, it really is a, a very foundational thing to work with. It really is. So not to steal anything from your, your tomorrow's interview, but uh, we're preaching a lot about Christmas at the moment. I love going to Luke's Gospel because he starts with the real history of Jesus, right? The, all the people involved, and he says, I've gone to all the trouble to gather the eyewitness accounts. Now, the reason this creation evolution issue is so basic is that when you look at the Bible, it's a fact-based faith. 
whereas woke is a blind faith. You just believe in a theory, and if you're more than 20 years old, you've seen evolution change a few times. It's evolving, right? And you're just supposed to keep up with the latest. But the Bible has remained the same. So those of you out there who think this issue is irrelevant, think carefully. If you want to know whether you're racist or not racist, you need God's definition. If you want to know if this race is more valuable than another race, you need God's definition of what value is. If you want to know what's the right thing to do food-wise, right? you need to have God's definition of it, and you'll only get that by starting at Genesis. Even Luke's exciting history of Jesus won't take you back there, but it establishes principle. Christianity is a fact-based faith, not a blind faith. Now, those who uh, who think uh, that that uh, you know there are white supremacists and there are victims, uh, now that gets into all sorts of murky waters there. Uh, but interpreting creation as being about white-skinned people, so people using race to advance their own agenda, and even the evolution versus creation debate is in this now, and the thought that white-skinned people are creationists. <laughs> uh, give us your thoughts here, because uh, we've had conversations about skin colour before, yeah. but just because you've white, you're white-skinned and a creationist, uh, how, does, how does this all fit, do you think? Okay, well... I'm old enough to remember when even groups like the Bible Society in that, if they printed a Bible for Australia and they had a picture Bible, Adam and Eve were white. If they wanted to sell us the same Bible in New Guinea, Adam and Eve on the picture page were black, right? And you say, is this just a sales ploy? Because in reality, there is no black or white people in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. If you want to know what the first man's color was, it seems that Adam is Hebrew for the rosy or the ruddy or the red man. The DM is the same part of the word as blood, and blood is red in color, and hence our statements, the life is in the blood. So Adam could not have been black and he could not have been white. You don't find any hint of white or black people until the people are getting on board Noah's Ark. And Shem seems to have been the same color as his dad, but Ham is definitely a Hebrew word, borrowed from Egyptian, came back again, and it simply means dark or black. And so the Hamites, and that's what many of the ancient Egyptians called themselves, are painted on the tiles in Egypt as black people. And now that's our first evidence in history of them being black and provably so. And yet Japhethites, Japhethites went all the way up across the um, past the Middle East and over to East Western Europe, and they are definitely white. So racism was not even possible until after Noah's flood. So please don't portray white people as creationists and racists. They may be creationists, but if they're racist, they've made a separate lot of choices that have nothing to do with creation because God made man. And if you want to be a good racist, then you better vote for middle brown people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, just to... Dig into some some deeper waters. I don't know whether this has ever been discussed before, but when you talk about where you start to get this thinking about white supremacists and victims and racism that divides, I can't help but think uh, American history has something to do with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, right back to the 1960s, uh, perhaps 50s, 60s, and uh, into the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King Jr. And how ingrained it is in the thinking of Americans that there are white people and black and the whites being characterized as Christian 
And but interestingly, the blacks have got that really Christian foundation too from uh, from that slavery era. Uh, but what are your thoughts here? Because the modern thinking doesn't always go back to Genesis. Uh, the modern thinking about how we're dealing with race has to do with the Christian foundations of America and how slavery was a part of their institutionalism. Uh, any thoughts here about about how that works? Sure. I spent a lot of time in America and I was absolutely staggered. That's the only word I can use when I was at a Thanksgiving church service, right? And they had a big meal afterwards, which Americans tend to do. And uh, I was introduced to the son of the local president of the Ku Klux Klan quite proudly. And I thought, what? Right? Now, in that, that's in the 1980s, still a strong movement behind the scenes. Now, Ku Klux Klan, of course, really does promote white race supremacists, right? And the blacks are the cause of the problem in every world, almost like Hitler, right? The, the whites were okay, the blacks were right at the bottom, and they needed to be exterminated to help evolution along with Hitler's actual modus operandi. Now, what amazed me is when you investigated this, I went with one historian to the churches in America, and I said, listen, usually I'll go to a church and it'll be all white or it'll be all black. There's almost nothing in between. I said, I've only been to one church where there was a black pastor. I've been to quite a few black churches where there was a white pastor. Uh, By the way, they're much more vibrant than many of them. My churches are, come on, brother, hallelujah, all that sort of (laughs) stuff. Uh, But anyway, I said, has this always been so separate? And he said, no. He said, on the the plantations, on the slave plantations, the slaves didn't have a separate church. They worshipped with the master of the house and his family, if it was a Christian family. I said, well, when did all this separation start? He said, well, back in the 20s and 30s, a new third party uh, that wasn't Democrat and it wasn't Republican, the two well-known parties, it grew up largely out of the South. Slavery had been banned, right? The blacks were now free and they were free to even sort of influence voting and things like that. And he said, so a new third party arose and its objective was to unite all of the lower to middle class. And he said, one thing happened as a result. Both the Democrats and the Republicans saw them as their biggest threat. So they united to oppose the third party and they demolished them with their clever ruses and money and things like that. And it basically would have turned out to be a totally different America if that middle class that had equal race values back then had dominated. Because, you know, when I was an American president, Clinton was there. He said, we're going to give you back your rights. Well, they were the ones that took them off them in the 1930s. And this is amazing. And, and so when you look, it's certainly got to do with a lot of American politics, but the racism in America and South Africa have another root. And it's one that you Christians need to listen carefully to, particularly if you have Deutsch background or South African background, you will find that they had a belief that the, the son Ham and some of the others after the flood gave rise to the black people and the black people were cursed by God to always be slaves. Now, in other words, there's a version of racism which is totally supposedly biblical and you Christians need to deal with that and have the right attitudes about the real history of the races and the real curse on Ham, which had nothing to do with his color at all. It was to do with his sin, and it was the fact it wasn't a curse on Ham, it was a curse on his son Canaan. And Canaan turns out to have not been black at all. He gave rise to the Canaanites, which were middle brown. And in case you think that's sort of funny, remember Noah was 
probably middle brown. Shem was middle brown. Ham was dark. Japheth was white. So the colours were very flexible in those days. And so Canaan's, uh, the son of Ham, was actually much more light-skinned. And it was Canaan who was cursed by to be a, a servant of his brothers. But that curse was fulfilled when Joshua invaded Canaan and took them as servants and that, I mean, they're all gone now, so that curse is finished. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. And our talkback line is open. You can join us. It could be a question about the conversation that we have now or it could be a broader question across the evolution creation issue and you might have something that's been a burning issue for you for a long time and you'd like some insight into it. Our special guest today is John Mackay, the creation guy. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. John, let's take a call. Julie is on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hi, Julie. Welcome. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Yeah, that's okay. What's your thought here? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment. And um, I, you know, you mentioned about American history. Um, I have worked with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families for many years. And um, I think we tend to forget sometimes, you know, how close um, that it was not that long ago. I'm in my 60s and it was certainly in my lifetime where um, children were taken away from families. Um, Families were forced to be on missions and um, get rations for food that was very unhealthy, white flour, milk powder, barely fruit and veggies, barely meat. Um, And, you know, then when they got 16, they had to go and work in households um, as servants and or on stations. And, you know, they were charged exorbitant rent uh, to be there for their keep. They worked seven days a week with no holidays and the government promised that they would be keeping their wage for them so that when they finished, they would have some income. And, you know, many of us are aware of the stolen wages and they actually got nothing. And um, we, you know, uh, my dad didn't find out till later in life with his Aboriginal heritage just because in the town where he grew up, if you're Aboriginal, you couldn't swim in the ball bars. Um, you couldn't, if you're a woman, couldn't try on clothes in town, men or women. You had to live on the fringes of town and not come into town. Julie, you're making time. some really very, very good points here. And I think you're probably accurately assessing a lot of things that happened that were dreadful in our own Australian history. Uh, When you talk about the missions that were established and that there were Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander children who were sent to those, I sometimes take that back a step further and say that one of the reasons why there were so many Christian missions that were established in some of these communities is to provide sanctuary for Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people because they were under dreadful threat for their own lives. And one of the things that really characterises the history of the Australian Christian Church, and while there are all sorts of critics who say we did not do enough, one of the reasons for those 
missions being established in those places where they were is to provide a sanctuary because the Christians were the only ones who believed that the black man and the white man being created in the image and likeness of God had a essential equality. Now, I'll bring uh, John Mackay into this uh, part of the conversation here. John, your thoughts yeah, for Julie um, as she's sharing those things? Having done several documentaries on the origin of the races, and if folks want to go to Creation Research, look up streaming or look up uh, MP4s or look up DVDs. There's still some DVDs that are really out there, uh, and you can get Origin Races, History of Man. And because we did that all over the planet, we had to investigate even issues like this. So I interviewed quite a few Aboriginals, and one of them was very insightful. And I asked him, what about the soul and generation? And he just shook his head and he said, it wasn't like you've been told. I said, what do you mean? He said, they never took us from our parents. Where we were, they came and they asked our parents, did we want our children to get an education? And I thought, wow. I'm not even brave enough to film this. This is so provocative. And I said, did they take anybody away? And he said, no, you had a choice of whether you wanted to go or not. And I thought, now that's something I've never read in a textbook, but here it is, a full-blooded Aboriginal man telling me this face-to-face. And he said, the one thing we are grateful for, whatever else happened that's wrong, you bought the gospel. You see, if you have well-fed Aborigines who are wealthy, there's no better than well-fed Europeans who are wealthy. They're both on their way to hell without the gospel. Now, let's put it in context. Go back to the coming of Australia to the convicts. Now, if you want to see mistreatment, have a look at the convicts. No wages, no holidays. No, it's, it's no different, right, to, to what's being claimed here. And yet you don't read of the convicts' descendants claiming mistreat, stolen generations or whatever. And many of them were effective. They came here because they stole a loaf of bread because they were hungry, right? So there's your context, your background. But out of that came people like this Aboriginal man, a lovely, godly Christian man, even in the end preached in his church. And I still preach in Aboriginal churches because God has given me an understanding that's way beyond the real issue here is not land rights. The real issue is, are you right with Jesus Christ? Now, get that one sorted and you find the others become of less significance and more importance in putting the nation back together again. And that's what we need, because the people who are pushing so much of this wokeism tend to justify it on the basis of racism and say racism caused this. No, no, it didn't cause it at all. Sin caused it, right? And sin causes wokeism because you actually miss the point that God is in control and you can't do anything. You know, you know the, the motive you even see on Christian buses, you, in a world where you can be anything you like, be kind. Well, sorry, it's not a world you can be anything like. It's a world where the Lord's Prayer says, your will be done. You can only be what God wants and you won't make anybody happy, black or white, until you take that message to them to get right, first of all, with the one who really is the traditional owner of the land. Let's take another call here from Chris in Ararat in Victoria. Hi, Chris. Welcome. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, John, firstly, I just want to thank you for this morning explaining how Noah was middle-coloured and in his family they were lighter and darker and I'm, I'm just thinking on to the Tower of Babel and when everyone was scattered around the world and they they were given different languages and, and people and I think there they were given sort of extra colours. Um, now coming from Ararat, have you found the boat yet? 
Oh, sorry, that's the Ararat in Victoria, isn't it? I know I've been there, right? And it is named after... Oh, it's over the other side. Yeah, it is named after the biblical Ararat beyond a shadow of a doubt. And uh, when you look at the question you've just asked, yes, there's, we start from Adam, who's a rosy brown. Now, having travelled all over the planet from the coldest of the sort of subarctic all the way down to the deserts of, of uh, the Middle East and over here, you find that the middle brown colour works well anywhere. Right, It doesn't matter whether you're an Eskimo who's middle brown or you're an Arab who's middle brown. Uh, it's a good colour for anywhere. But if you look at those who've lost the ability to make enough melanin, the white people, their skin is okay in cold countries, but it's no good in hot countries. We have the highest death rate from skin cancer on the planet. An Aboriginal may get skin cancer on the hands or on the soles of his feet, right? That's, that's the only place he's going to get it, right? And if you look at black skin, that does really well in the desert. In fact, his skin is so dark, he can't do well in the cold because his skin can't make vitamin D. So by the time we get through to Noah and his three different shades of colour that come out in his children and then named according to their colour, from then on, the skin colour is obviously unstable. You've heard of unstable genes that can go backwards and forwards? Well, this is what's happening. And then for the first couple of hundred years after Noah's flood, they basically do a bit of moving. It's described in Genesis 10 and 11. They go to the east and come back. They build a big tower, and that's when God really gets mad because he told them after the flood, go into all the world. And just like the early Christians, they stayed in Jerusalem. <laughs> they didn't go into all the world. They wanted to build a big trade union headquarters and they reach up, make their own religion, ascend into heaven. And God was really angry at that. So he confused their languages. Now, don't be surprised he can do that because he invented language in the first place. Changing the verb order or the noun or the whatever, he had no trouble doing that till we could no longer comprehend each other. And here's me saying, you stupid idiot, I can't even understand what you're saying. Uh, and we, we divide naturally into our language groups. But that then enables further confusion of the skin colors, right? And so, yes, you're quite right. God didn't give them extra skin colors at Babel. He gave them languages, and that's one thing that took some people to the Arctic, some people to the to the uh, deserts. And if you had the skin color that could survive, that's the one that's selected, right? And so you end up with more variations until you go right from albino, which doesn't work well anywhere, all the way through to absolutely jet black and Ethiopian, who's really tall so he can get maximum skin exposure, so he can make enough vitamin D. And that's the world you live in today. Come back to Genesis for a few moments here. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, there's some reference there to a curse on Cain and the mark of Cain. Uh, not everybody seems to be on the same page with this, and perhaps there's some grey areas, but, uh, but you know, as, uh, as a discussion here about, and you've already described some places where, uh, you know, where we can understand uh, mm -hmm. the emergence of black skin and light skin, uh, thoughts here on, on the curse on Cain? Okay, one common misconception. Are we talking here about Cain in the Garden of Eden, just outside the Garden of Eden, or are we talking about Canaan as the one who's cursed with Ham? Now, the Canaan who's cursed in Ham's day, uh, son, grandson of Noah, is a different one than the one we're talking about now, which is Adam and Eve's son. You know, they had Cain and Abel. And the famous sort of question is, you know, if Cain killed Abel, who did he marry? 
uh, all those sort of things. Now, the curse on Cain, there's no reference to skin color at all. If you really want to know what the curse is, God spells it out for you. It's in black and white in Genesis. It tells you from now on, he'll be a wanderer. He can't settle down. He won't build cities, right? He won't be able to plant vegetables. They won't yield. They won't come up, right? He could buy the best seed to get the most fancy fertilizer. And God had put a curse on Cain. He'd have to be a hunter from then on. Had to go and find his food, trade for food. But he couldn't be someone who could just use the ground bountifully to to yield its yield its yield to you. So there's no actual curse related to color. And if you want to think it through. Even if you say there's the possibility of that, think carefully as to what happened to Cain and his descendants. The whole purpose of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers is to trace the family history of Jesus Christ. Now, as should be obvious, Cain, who rebels early against the God, he killed his brother. He then denies it. And God says, no, I know where I can see his blood on the ground. I know you did it, right? And Cain is then not repentant. He turns away from God and God curses him and makes the ground not yield to him. But he's not in the family tree of Jesus Christ. So when Noah's flood came, none of Cain's descendants, no matter what color they were by that time, None of Cain's descendants got onto the ark at all. So they'd have no genetic influence on our modern people whatsoever. Now, as far as I can see, despite it being a popular suggestion that Cain was cursed by being back, this was his mark. Now, his mark was, Cain, can I buy some vegetables of you? No, don't do vegetables, right? You couldn't have done anything like this. Was In a world where everybody was still vegetarian and where everybody could trade and, and grow plants, Cain couldn't do it. Right, So he had to do some other uh, income. He was marked. He was set aside very visibly. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. And you might have a question even more broadly around creation and evolution. Let's take a call. Steve is in Craigmore in South Australia. Hi, Steve. Welcome. Hello there. Steve, what are your thoughts? Yes, well, um, I was at um, a train station and I was approached by a Mormon and uh, the the fact that, um, well, they believe that uh, Cain was cursed uh, by God and his, his uh, skin went black, that's uh, like a Mormon theology thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. of course, I, um, I read the Book of Mormon to find out uh, where it was coming from. And uh, it does actually say in 2 Nephi 5, uh, which is obviously false, uh, we know that, that um, uh, God cursed um, some... Uh, some Mormon Mormon people, some Nephites uh, that, that uh, weren't obeying him, and the skin turned black, and uh, so that was the curse on them. And then back in in, in three Nephi, they repent. Some of them repent uh, and turn back to God, and their skin turns white and pure again. So uh, I mean, obviously, I'm thinking that Joseph Smith, the guy that wrote the Book of Mormon, was probably a, a white supremacist. Absolutely himself, spot uh, on, he was. But it, listen, I just yeah. just throw in a couple of comments here. Yes, originally that that sort of teaching is not coming from Genesis. You do find it in the Book of Mormon, and it was used to ensure that the whole Mormon Church originally would be white. Now, with the increased social pressure in America. Uh, it, the Mormons finally caved in, and you can have a limited number of black people in your in your kingdom, right? So you'll find they've had to change that and therefore downplay some of those issues that are there. But in reality, you want to say, if your Book of Mormon really wants to check the truth, go to Genesis, you won't find anything about it at all. And that's where they don't want to go because that makes everybody a sinner. 
uh, and Joseph Smith becomes a false prophet because he's not proclaiming Jesus Christ alone. And uh, Steve, thank you so much for uh, some very valuable insight there. And just uh, for any listener who's concerned about uh, con- about Mormons and uh, thinking that they're all the same as uh, Christians, uh, yes, the Book of Mormon is not something that Christians would ascribe to as having any authority. It is a separate book to the Bible and Christians uh, of an orthodox nature uh, only look to the Bible as their uh, way of being able to work through issues of uh, faith and practice. So uh, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. You might have a question. While we're waiting for uh, another caller to call through, um, let me just ask you a couple of, you know, put you on the spot here. Some of the the big things that have come out just in this past week, there's stories coming to light. Last week, there was a report of uh, a complete skeleton of an Elasmosaurus in the state of Queensland. Uh, You were following that one along, John? I certainly am as an avid dinosaur digger and checker out of thereof (laughs) and all over the planet and looked at them in many, many places. This one really captured my attention. Found just west of the little town of McKinley on a cattle property there by a couple of old ladies, bless their heart, who uh, found nothing the first time they dug in this hole and then they found this huge elasmosaur, six or so metres long. If you want to know what an elasmosaur is, if you haven't met one lately, it's the one that had the hilarious history because when they found the plesiosaurs, the better known sort of version, they kept putting the head in the wrong place because you have 72 bones in a plesiosaur neck, up to sometimes 52, sometimes 72, and at the other end, the tail's only got seven bones. But because of the rule in biology that all necks have seven bones in, they would keep taking the head and putting it at the other end till people said, listen, there's 10 of them, there's 12 of them, there's 20 of them, and they've all got the neck at, 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 at the long end and the head's on it. So they ended up having to concede this. But this is the first time we found one with the head actually really still attached to the very long neck. So congratulations, ladies. But the point that the press is making, well, it's a couple of things they leave out. Paul Hogan knows where this uh, place was because the pub in the town, on the edge of town, that I'm very familiar with because he used to drive up past that, we used to work up there, that starred in his famous movie, you know, uh, Paul Hogan's Rocket Dundee, that's right. And uh, so what you find is that's the area of Queensland we're talking about. But if you find a whole plesiosaur, a whole elasmosaurus, and every bone is intact, it didn't die, fall to the bottom, slowly get eaten by other fishes, and then cover up slowly. It was buried exceedingly rapidly, and the creature has since died out. That's the real history of the planet. It'd be nice if there were elasmosaurs, but there are no more. It's become extinct. It has not evolved. Very quickly, because there's some callers uh, waiting to ask their question, but the fact that you can find these fossils uh, close to the surface, doesn't that indicate that it may not be as long ago uh, since they were uh, buried by those uh, rapid, uh, rapid burials? What are your thoughts on on the discovery of these fossils close to the surface. Well, having been one who's looked at dinosaur bones and gone looking for them out on the, the edge of the sort of Queensland Northern Territory border and, and successfully done so, you will find that there's plenty of evidence that they are buried, they have been buried rapidly, 
their bones are not exceedingly old, and the early explorers were spot on when they said there used to be a sea here. Actually, they thought a sea just before they arrived, but there used to be a massive amount of waters, and it's water from the time of the flood. And the runoff of that is what's first of all produced our big rivers. Like even if you look at the Murray River, you see an, a decent-sized river by the time you get to South Australia. But if you actually sort of begin to explore underground, the actual river valley is about 100 kilometres across. Huge amounts of water have poured off and they've taken with it a lot of the topsoil, a lot of the top rocks that used to cover these a fair bit deeper. So it's actually shallower because much of the covering has gone. Let's take another call. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Cindy is on the line from Benalla. Hello, Cindy. Welcome. Hello. Um, I heard you mention the Mormons. Uh, is Seventh-day Adventist in the same box as them? Because... Um, since Jimmy Swaggart's been on TV and I've been getting a lot of that Pentecostal teaching, which I used to get off one of the other churches I went to, um, he, she's got a DVD at the end of it that says you can look it up on the net that um, there's a few things they're a bit off track on. So there's that question, because I've switched over to the Lutheran church, but they're a bit boring. They've only got 20 people left and they're all in their 80s. <laughs> anyway, so second question so, is... Hang on, just um, before your second question, deal with this one really quickly because okay. uh, I think the Seventh-day Adventists would be a little bit offended to be uh, in the same boat as the Mormons and maybe vice versa. Sounds like you need to start okay. you as the leader of the youth group in the Lutheran church. Um, okay, when you look at the SDAs, they've had a radical change in the past uh, um, 30 or 40 years but they would certainly not fit in the same category as the Mormons of having their extra book. They may have a few extra people like Ellen G. White and things like that who really have some wonky ideas. Hate to say it to you, Seventh-day Adventists, but you need to double-check all of the things that your woman prophet and things like that got really accepted. Now, you will find that the two groups have, have an interesting history in the past 30 years. One group is moving back towards salvation by grace with no works. The other group is still in the old legalistic Seventh-day Adventist traditional view where the law is something that has to be kept. So you must meet on a Saturday because the Jews met on a Saturday, and that was God's rule back in, in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, right? But the others have said, no, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Jesus did. Now, let me make a prediction. The second lot, who are a much more recent group here in Australia, because they're the ones who asked me to come and preach for them, right? The other ones won't have anything to do with John Mackay, the creation guy, because he's emphatic that we now worship on a Sunday because that's the day the Lord made and we'll be glad and rejoice in him, right? That, that's the reason why Christians meet on, on, the, on, the seventh day, on, on the first day of the week, rather. And I predict that if they keep going, they'll end up, first of all, being Seventh-day Baptists, Right, and then they'll end up being Baptists, right? And so you'll find that if that keeps going and the Holy Spirit keeps working in their hearts, they will end up being what they were in the first place. All right, okay. So. All right. Now you had a but second I did enjoy question. Enjoy their church. It was full. It was teaching was deep and meaningful. But I, I wasn't reading the Bible, so I didn't get the full picture until yeah, I looked up the right. details of the yeah. truth about the Seventh Day Adventists. Good on you. Now, Cindy, what was that other healing. one? The healing. Um, I always get depressed when I got something in my life, whether it's pets or myself or, the, or people that need healing. And God always says, ask me, I'll heal you. Do this. I'll, you know, if you claim the blood of Jesus, if you go into church and have a communion and that in um, pain in tongues and fasting and 
all that helps, but um, if you just ask him and quote quote his scriptures, you're supposed to get healed, and it didn't happen, and it cost me like a lot at the vet to heal the dog because it mm. wasn't getting healed, and I prayed and prayed for two days. Well, can I encourage Why you to read the section? You can read the section on what Paul said about this, because you and I live in a world where even though our sin can be forgiven through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ and his suffering, we live in a body that's still affected by sins and we live in a sinful world and we are not always promised to have a healed body. In fact, as Paul said, he, his body still was afflicted. Now, he never specifies what the affliction was, but it certainly seemed to mean something that physically limited him. And if Paul could pray and not have healing, because that's what the context is about in Corinthians and some of the other letters that he writes, then you and I will struggle for the same degree. Sometimes you'll find God wants us to be sick because we haven't learned to humble ourselves and we haven't learned to trust him in in the worst of times. So let me give you a better recipe. Start off with Philippians where it says, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God and in Christ Jesus for you. So thank God for your affliction as your first starting point and ask him, show me what it's for. Show me how to use it. Because one of the best examples I can think of this is Joni, the girl who didn't become a Christian until she broke her neck. And she has such a tremendous witness because she's crippled, right? And yet Jesus can work in her in her totally unhealed, totally deformed body really that can't do anything much and yet she basically said I would not want it to be any other way because Jesus can use me just like I am. Cindy thank you so much for your call and uh, we're going to move on to another caller but thank you so much Cindy let's take another call 1-800-316-316 Graham is in Tasmania. Hi Graham welcome along. Good morning gentlemen it's very hard to be a Christian even with whites. Uh, we do need to follow God to treat each other as equals. Uh, we are fearful of different sorts of races we're not familiar with. We all have personalities, so we, we've got to be careful. Uh, all Christians are coming to God in the services. Of course, we accept them as brothers and sisters, whatever race they are. But it's a great battle. It's a great battle. There's a lot of confusion in this world. And again, uh, very about the homosexuals. Uh, is there only white homosexuals? Are they only discriminating against the white homosexuals or the blacks or any other colour? Because they're all the same race. It's really a, a defunct, this business about the woke business, about uh, races. We are one man. Father. Hey, Graham, you're raising a really important point here, and that is that in church life, we can sit alongside one another, no matter what our skin colour. In fact, it goes deeper than that with our faith, no matter whether you're rich or poor. Uh, slave or free. I think we could even extend to that. But the fact that people can sit alongside one another, brother and sister, shoulder to shoulder, one in Christ, that is one of the powerful, very, very powerful, and sometimes you've got to take a few moments to reflect on that, one of those very, very powerful understandings that we have and that grows in us as we understand who God is and his creation. John, your thoughts for Graham? All right, one of the things that I had to learn the hard way was to pray, Lord, help me to love those who you love, but I don't, 
right? Because that's what Jesus has done. And yet we see our own selves as either superior or inferior. We don't love ourselves like we're supposed to, so we can't love others. There's all sorts of issues here, but we need to make sure we ask Jesus Christ to love and to see others the way he sees them. Now, sometimes you'll be shocked because you'll see yourself for the first time and it's pretty awful because you'll realize, hey, I'm actually a worse sinner than I thought. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. And Lord, help me to reach out with the gospel to those who I only see as dirty, rotten sinners and you see as people you want to save. That's great. Graham, I hope that was a useful response to you. Thank you so much for your call. I'm going to put a line under any calls now because just a few minutes for our conversation, I do want to talk to you, John, about one of your latest uh, releases, and it's called Itzak the Starboy. The Creator Came for Christmas, and Christmas is almost on us. We're just a couple of weeks away now, and uh, you've got a little story behind the writing of what has become quite a significant, glossy, Mm. uh, high-quality comic uh, in in the way of you like uh, the illustrations? Yes, fabulous. You, you must have an expert illustrator we working do. with you to to do those. We but do. Uh, there's a story behind this. Yeah, there, there really is. I don't know if you believe God still speaks, right? Because many churches say it all stopped in the. Uh, first I, century. I believe He still speaks. Yeah, I, I do too. Even though it's unpopular in some circles I go to, but I was driving home from Jurassic Ark one day and I heard a question. Right. Who else saw the star? And I thought, I've never thought of that question before. Where's the question coming from? And then as I continued to drive, much to the worryingness of my grandson who was with me, because a story was pouring into my head, which you'll see the result of there. And it's all about a little boy because in Jesus' day, just before Jesus was born, the people in Israel, the farmers, would plant their crops according to the stars. So they knew what stars would come up at what time. And so... If they were looking, they must have seen a star. But this little boy wasn't at the benefit of Daniel. He wasn't in the Middle East where the astrologers were. He wouldn't have known what it meant, but he set out to find out. And some of the exciting things I found as I researched this, I came across the historical records. You know how we used to have the date of 0 AD, BC, etc. as the birth of Christ. And then we found our Herod's dates were a few days out. So we now have Jesus born at 4 BC, which sounds a bit funny, but in reality it's much more historic. So I checked on 4 BC and the ancient historians say the, the Southern Cross was seen over Bethlehem. And you think, what? That's way north. How could they see that? Well, they still actually can sometimes. But then I had a friend of mine who said, I can't believe that. But he was a physicist and astronomer, someone who had to, had to navigate by the stars. And he phoned me up and he said, John, I've just run your suggestion back through time, you know, with the computers that yeah, go backwards. Yeah, yeah. Modeling, and he said, modeling back to the- guess where the Southern Cross was on December the 25th, 4 BC. I said, go on, hit me. It was over Bethlehem. He said, you're exactly right. And I thought, wow, this story is fabulous. So you will love this story. The illustrations are beautiful, and it's got a great gospel message of visiting Bethlehem, of getting to see the babe and following on from there. It's a wonderful. It'll help you. It'll help your kids. So it's available from creationresearch.net. And and along with our new coloring book, which you get for free if you buy three books, it's a wonderful coloring book too. But most of all, the creator came for Christmas, and that's the real creator, the real Christmas story is about. Not the Santa Claus with jolly whistle or whatever, but the person of Jesus. Okay. Well, listeners might want to get a hold of it. It's called Itzak the Star Boy.
the Creator came for Christmas. Uh, still might be some time to get that in the mail, mm-hmm. ready for some Christmas giving. Hey, you've got lots of publications out, John. Some of those are for adults. Some of those mm-hmm. have the sorts of reasoning and thinking that listeners have been hearing over this past hour. Others are about the kids, and the kids are so important because somehow or other you've got to start them on a diet of understanding God as creator in their childhood years because they've got a battle ahead of them. Well, Children you, are important. You, you've got to they? wake them up so they won't be woke. <laughs> there you go. Uh, to, to, uh, just to go along with our conversation today. And if we're just uh, putting the icing on the cake of a conversation that we've been having today and talking racism... Uh, What I often like to refer to is that uh, God created one humanity uh, and it is a foundation understanding that helps us to be able to interpret all of the things that we're hearing in the media and the things that are being taught in our schools and universities. The fact that we are one humanity together gives us a wonderful foundation for being part of the solution for all of these race issues, doesn't it? Well, he created the one Adam and the one Eve, one family, we're all descended from there, and the only way to reunite is like Adam and Eve, sin caused the problem. Sin can be dealt with by Christ, and only that creates one family of man that can glorify Jesus and benefit each other. Uh, one family. And, John, when people go to your website, uh, we're talking creationresearch.net, uh, is there a way they can ask their questions? Is there a is there sure an is. There's a Q&A button and they can send their questions in there or they can go to our fact file and look at all the, the big long articles that are there, hundreds of them, or better still, they can find the DVD on races or things like that and get to listen to all of those things. Another fabulous resource when you are looking for answers about creation. So creationresearch.net. There's also a website called askjohnmackay.com. You can follow John on YouTube or on Facebook. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, He's on Instagram. You can subscribe for a free email newsletter. There are articles. There's Q&A at Creation Research. And keep your eye out for those kids' books. And they can actually come to Jurassic Ark over the holidays. Okay, Jurassic Ark, and you need to Google that uh, to find out the address and the times when it's open and to be a part of what's something very significant here in Australia. Uh, John Mackay, uh, last time we'll get to talk this year. We'll hopefully have some more segments like this in the new year, but uh, God's richest blessing on you and your wonderful wife and uh, your entire family. Thank you so much for another great year on 2020. God bless. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.